today for Remote One-on-One, we have Pete Bucic, which some know as Mayor Pete, the former mayor of South Bend, one of the past 2020 presidential candidates and host of the podcast, Deciding the Decade. I also found out that your full name is Paul Peter Montgomery Bucic. So are we family? I don't, I didn't even know are we family <laughs> with the Montgomery name. I saw That's that right, you, yeah. Yeah, I saw that you keep your mother's side of family name alive so I love that because I have the same situation in, in my family so thank you for yeah, joining mom, me there's there. a whole Peace. Montgomery family in southern Indiana that uh, that my mom came from and uh, once in a while I still find a distant relative out there so you know I must be connected somehow gotta be gotta be there's basketball Indiana I'm starting to feel the connection I already get it <laughs> but speaking of growing up in Indiana you ended up becoming a Rhodes Scholar and for those that don't know what that is just know that they're the best of the best extremely smart get to go on to study at Oxford, but being, a, you were one of the few Rhodes Scholars that graduated from a non-military university and went on to become a Naval officer. Can you tell me about how that experience helped being a Naval officer and just what was that experience like? Well, it, it was a life-changing experience. Uh, uh, every year they take 32 American students and they give you a chance to, to study philosophy, politics, and economics. They call it PPE. It's everything I, I didn't get a chance to learn in college. And and yeah, it was actually a big part of uh, how I wound up uh, finding my way into the Navy Reserve. They, they usually have some number of, of students who come from the military academies and there were uh, uh, several Navy guys in, in, in my class and I, I just admired them so much. Um, that I wanted to learn more about uh, being an officer and learned about a reserve program where, you know, you may not decide that your whole life is going to be the military or you're going to do it uh, uh, as a full-time job for years, but you join the reserve, you do the training, and then, you know, when the Navy needs you, they, they call you up, which is how I wound up uh, serving in Afghanistan. And I thought back to not just my military training, but by my university education all, all the time. And uh, uh, I'm, uh, you know, to this day, think about how lucky I was that I got that shot, shot to, uh, to study overseas. Yeah, and you got that shot and you didn't end up in the military. You ended up in politics. Can, so can you tell me what made you want to run for mayor? Was there something that triggered you wanting to do that? Well, a lot of it was what was going on in my city. So South Bend, a lot of people know Notre Dame is there, of course, and, and, and they think about sports. And, and, and a lot of people assume this is a, you know, a well-off, comfortable college town. This is actually a city that went through a lot. We, we were a company town for Studebaker, one of the big car companies. Went out of business in the 60s, and people were still facing the consequences of that decades later when I was growing up. And there was this sense like our city had gotten stuck, even though we'd had great leaders and, and great people in the community trying to move things forward. Um, th there was even an article saying that we were a dying city. And so many friends that I came up with just didn't want to accept that, didn't, didn't believe that, that there was anything, any reason why our city couldn't, uh, couldn't see a better day. And I realized that as a young person who believed in my city, just the act of running for mayor you know, saying, I believe our city can move forward could be part of the solution. And so I launched this campaign. Uh, I think uh, most people thought we were a long shot when we got started. Um, but the more people we talked to, the more people were excited by a different vision for where our city was headed. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really proud to say, you know, having served eight, eight years and then now moved on from that job, looking back, I really feel like that, that decade, the, the, the last decade in our city was one that, that really turned things around. We got a long way to go. We're still a low income city uh, with a lot of challenges, but um, we're, we're headed in the right direction and we're growing. 
Absolutely. So did those same type of things make you want to decide to run for president? Just seeing where we were, is that kind of the same thought process? Yeah, in a way. I mean, I know it's not normal for a mayor, especially a mayor of a city that's not one of the biggest cities in America to turn around and say, I'm gonna run for president. But what I saw was the same things people were talking about around the country were the struggles we'd faced as a city. Uh, people not sure where they belonged uh, in the economy or, or in our diverse uh, tapestry of a community. I saw these things going on nationally too. And especially after the shock of the 2016 election, I realized that a different kind of voice from a different generation with a different life experience might be what our party and, and what our country needed. And kind of like when I ran for mayor, I realized the only way to find out for sure was to go out and see if anybody would follow follow and support the campaign. And uh, obviously a lot of people, we didn't go the distance, but, but a lot of people- No, you have a vision. large following, a large Mayor Pete following that now you've moved on from that. And it's beautiful because- it's been said that you are the future of politics. You talk about it, a different voice, a different feel. People feel that from you. And with politics getting so much spotlight this year, there's been a lot more interest. What would your advice be for somebody thinking about running for any office for the first time? You know, I'd say don't wait your turn. If you have a vision and you believe that this office could be handled differently or better, see if you can persuade people to agree with you. Uh, uh, and you'd be amazed. And, and you know, a lot of people, especially if you've never seen somebody who looks like you running for that particular office, uh, or if you've never seen a woman in that particular office, a lot of people think, well, it can't be me unless a bunch of people come up to me and ask. Let me tell you a secret, wh which is not a well-kept secret. Pretty much anybody, when they're telling their own story about how they ran for office, uh, usually says something about how a bunch of people approached them. And then they thought, okay, fine, I'll do it. But it doesn't actually usually work out that way. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, the, those people are lying, but they remember that part more than they remember the part where they, they, they just had the drive to go out and do it. I guess what I'm saying is don't wait for people to tell you you should run for office. If you see something that needs to change, uh, then you yeah. should look for candidates you believe in. If you find one, follow them. If you don't find one, that might mean it's your turn and you'll never know unless you step up. Okay. So I love that because I've been talking a lot about there's different avenues, you know, like mm -hmm. sports isn't the only avenue. Being yeah. a doctor isn't the only avenue. Yeah. So when talking about politics, a lot of people don't think about politics as a position of change. Like when people are trying to change the world, but what are your thoughts on like why a young person should look into being in politics if they have a voice or if they want to have their voice, like, why should kids be interested? Because a lot of times that's just not a profession that, that our youth are, are talked to about. Right. So uh, I guess the way I would say it is the longer you're planning to be here, that is to say the, the younger you are, the more you have at stake in the decisions that politicians are making today, right? Politicians are making decisions today about the climate that are going to define what life is like in the years ahead. And, and, and if you care about those issues, this is one of the ways you could make a difference in it. So many of the issues we're talking about as a country, racial justice, uh, you know, to actually have policies that demonstrate Black Lives Matter, that's got to be uh, the, the, the result, the, the consequence of folks taking to the street is that the policies change, that the leaders change. And the only way that happens is if you get out there and make it happen. Young people sometimes underestimate just how much power a new generation can have, moral power, and political power by speaking on these issues. Oh my goodness, I love hearing you talk. So that's why I said, if things had turned out differently and you, you did your eight years in office, you would only be around 47 years old. 
that's crazy young like what would you do like what do you do what would be your post-presidency plans like what would your life look like <laughs> i don't know I, you know i love being involved in the thick of it but frankly i also love peace and quiet i i could be pretty happy with a book uh, and, okay. and and a quiet room. If if I got Chaston and the dogs and, and we're in a quiet place somewhere, that, that'd be just fine with me. But I guess I, no matter what, I want to keep making a difference. You know, during the campaign, I got to meet uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, former president. He's been an oh, yeah, Habitats for Humanity, right? Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. been an ex-president longer than you and I have been alive. That's just how yeah. long he's been out of the presidency. And during that time, he's done things like Habitat for Humanity, which they actually came to our community and, and, and helped build houses here. And okay. just use that, that, that visibility of having been president to do so many extraordinary things for decades after he left office. I think that's a model that, you know, every uh, leader should think about. Okay, I love that. So since you brought up books, you're an author. And so what kind of books do you read? If you're, if you're with the dogs, what kind of book are you going to be reading? You know, I try to mix fiction and nonfiction. Uh, I'm actually looking for a good pick for the next fiction, next novel I'm going to read. <laughs> Um, okay. And there's some really good nonfiction, some, some stuff that came out this year. There's a book called Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, that, which helps explain why we are where we are racially, which I think is, a, but also, uh, uh, you know, it's not dry social theory. It's a really powerful book. Um, I just got my hands on a book called The Outlaw Ocean, very different subject. It's about all the things that go on in international waters. And it's, it's one of the last areas of earth. Of course, two thirds of the world, right, is covered in water. Right. We don't think about some of the things that go on outside of the reach of the law and, and some of the regulations that exist. And um, there's a lot of bad things, but there's a lot of possibilities, especially as we think about issues like the climate, uh, issues like uh, like the future of what it is to, to work. Anyway, really interesting book. I like it. I love it. I love it. You really are into reading. So actually, you wrote a book titled Trust, where it's, it's different because you kind of transform the relationship standpoint to a political standpoint. Mm -hmm. What made you want to just even write the book? And then also in a time where there's so much distrust in the system, why did you feel that trust was such an important issue to write about? Well, I think every big issue we face right now is the kind of issue that only gets better with cooperation. Uh, and cooperation only happens if there's more trust. I mean, uh, you think about dealing with the climate, you think about COVID, right? Or people going to get vaccines only if they trust uh, the system. And a lot of people are, are struggling to uh, have a lot of trust in that democracy, right? I mean, you go in and you cast your vote and everything depends on us trusting that that vote is gonna be handled in a fair way. And trust is really broken down. I mean, if you ask Americans, do you trust the government? Do you trust each other? Um, those numbers are way lower than they were a generation ago. I believe we've got to find ways to fix that. And it's hard, especially with social media and some of the things going on out there. Um, but we have to do that. I'm not pretending we're all going to agree on everything. It, it's especially when we disagree that it's important to trust one another to be there in good faith. Uh, otherwise, we'll never be able to uh, get across disagreements. So that, that's why I wanted to write the book. And, and, you know, if you think about, I mean, in personal life, every relationship, every friendship, yeah. every, uh, every marriage is, is based on trust. Uh, I think the same is true for whole countries. Yeah, I love it. So you brought up marriage and y'all got to be like the the fave couples i saw you guys on msnbc like love you guys this is i know this is probably not one of the normal questions but how do you meet like you know just people ask me one time asked me that randomly i'm like no one ever asked me that so i'm going to ask you like how did you meet because automatically even when i brought it up you just started smiling so we all can tell that you're happy um tell me about it 
Yeah, I got a wonderful husband named Chaston. We, uh, in fact, he's got a book out recently called I Have Something to Tell You. Uh, we, we met uh, on an app called Hinge. Uh, you know, I think it, uh, it plugs into your Facebook account. It kind of looks for friends of friends. Although we never figured out if we had, had mutual friends before we met. I don't <laughs> think we did. Um, you know, I was in South Bend. I was the mayor. It's a little hard to figure out how to date when you're the mayor and you've just yeah. come out and you're, young, you know, uh, he was living in Chicago. That made it a little easier because he'd never heard of me uh, until I, un, until we, we kind of matched on, on this app hinge and started chatting oh, with each awesome. other. But even when we were chatting, I could tell that, I don't know, he's just kind of witty. He was quick. I wanted to meet this guy. So I, I invited him to town for a coffee. He was late. He got caught in traffic coming out of Chicago. So coffee turned into a beer. I brought a couple of baseball tickets just in case the, the date was going well, which it was. Okay. So I like we that to, planning uh, ahead. Yeah. You know, uh, and you know, there's no better feeling than walking into uh, a uh, ballpark uh, in a city that you're the mayor of. At least I thought there was no better feeling. Um, but by the end of that night, I knew an even better feeling because on the way out, uh, fireworks were going off. We're, we held hands for the first time and um, and the rest is history. Oh, wow. I love that. And, and just going to shift gears to history. When you talk about mm -hmm. history, I think about my mom and dad meeting at a historically black college and university. Mm. And then my mom actually going on to, to work at that university. So I know firsthand the financial struggles that, that HBCUs face. And you've been very vocal, you know, about funding HBCUs. What, what brought you to that passion? Like it, it's, it's, it's not what we would necessarily think of when we think of you, but you were, you've been vocal about it. Yeah. HBCUs are such an important part of uh, education and of equity in this country. And one of the things I got to do running for president was we, we made a point of visiting a lot of HBCU campuses and talking to students and all of them had different experiences. But in particular, I remember talking to a student at uh, South Carolina State University who was sharing how when he got to this HBCU, it was the first time that he felt like he wasn't distracted or pressured by constantly being reminded that he was black because he was in a mostly white environment and it yeah. it freed him to concentrate on his studies uh, so whether it's an experience like him or all the different experiences where people support each other i mean we have an hbcu graduate about to become vice president of the united states kamala yeah. harris who went to howard university they're playing such an important role and if we're serious as a country about dealing with the effects of systemic racism. And, and by the way, that's part of the reason uh, that people needed HBCUs in, in the first place yep. was that so many Americans, black Americans were excluded uh, from other educational opportunities. Now, uh, we have these amazing institutions that have a remarkable track record, especially for first generation students who have not been to college, no one in their family maybe has graduated college. Uh, we as a country will be so much better off, not only doing right by the students who go to these HBCUs, but also, empowering them to contribute what they have to offer and what they have to contribute is going to make the whole country better off. I love that. And you, since you brought up Madam Vice President, I'm going to ask about her because I'm talking breaking barriers. You broke barriers. You're a barrier breaker in your own right. Can you just talk about like the feeling of seeing a woman appointed to such an high, a high place in office, the vice president, the vice president? It's incredible. You know, I got to know her when we were competing. We were both running for the nomination at the same time. And then I, I got involved. Uh, they asked me to help out when she was uh, preparing for the debate because uh, she was going up against Mike Pence, who used to be governor of Indiana. And I, I knew a little bit about, uh, about how to face off with him. And, you know, what I saw is somebody who was so smart, so prepared, but also brings this combination of, of uh, empathy and 
uh, and intellect that I think is, is going to be so important and so powerful. And then you add to that her historic role, uh, the first black woman, uh, the first woman and the first black American, all of those together, and the first South Asian American. Uh, you know, uh, I, I have a relative who works in India. Um, and they were talking about her over there to see somebody with a name like Kamala, which, which means a lot to, to a lot of people yeah. in India, at, in, in one of the highest offices in the land, not to mention the message that that sends uh, to, to women and girls and, and to black Americans everywhere. Uh, I just think it's, it's extraordinary. And, and one of the things I really admire about her is she, she carries that weight of history. She recognizes how important it yeah. is. But she doesn't let it define her or slow her down in any uh, way. It's, it's part of the bigger story of what she has to offer this country. Mayor Pete, I thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on Remotely Renee. I had a blast. I love, it. I love everything you're doing, and I'm behind you all the way, if you didn't already know. This is Will Friedle. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, where communities can be disconnected, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. They believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can help build a more connected community. Neighbor to neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.